Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team. The other contributors to this episode are Alessandro Maniscalco and Sydney. Together, we analyze the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. You can find all of us on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss scenes 41 and 42 of Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. So these are scenes that kind of flow right one into the other. It's Diana riding off towards Ludendorff on horseback, and then uh, it's her final confrontation with the German general. It ends up on the roof of the kind of the watchtower there. So we will see the, the last of Ludendorff here in these scenes. So that will be kind of fun to see what happens to him. But uh, let's start by just talking about um, overall the what these scenes contribute um, to the movie overall in terms of pacing, um, thematic character development, that sort of stuff. Um, we're really kind of getting into some of the final action stuff, but what do you see these scenes really contributing to the story or the characters? Yeah, this is Diana having taken in what happened to that town and that village and she is very emotionally driven i think in this next sequence of events she is going uh just as fast as she can and as not she's not really thinking through some things (laughs) i think she's she's going through uh uh the the military base sort of slicing and dicing people she's using that sword she's not really thinking through things and I, I think it's her wanting to fulfill her mission. Uh, she gets to where she finds Ludendorff and she thinks that Ludendorff is Ares and she thinks that this is going to be the, the moment where she fulfills her mission. I just, uh, I think she's letting her emotions uh, get away with her in this in this sequence of events. Yeah, and it, you know, it's hard to blame her, like you said, because of the last scene and how heartbreaking that was to see the town that she was so happy to save being completely gassed and not only that loss of life and everything, um, but then her and Steve kind of being on the outs, you know, in terms of uh, their their conflict as well. Right. So all of that can definitely be a powder keg of emotions, you know. So I think the filmmakers really capture that emotion well with the momentum of the scene and stuff that we'll talk about. And then her fury um, as she's going in, and like you said, just mowing through the soldiers and stuff. And she makes quick work of it and is really going to town like that. But it's thematically it's kind of important too because if she completely loses herself into this side of things like into the wrath and fury and you know revenge and all this stuff then it's going to be ball game over because all of that kind of stuff is Ares sort of thing like what she's doing in this scene is basically playing into what Ares would be happy to see he's like oh somebody like very angry and vengeful and just slicing and dicing that seems like it's doomed to failure. So she has to somehow before the end of the movie, she has to pull herself out of this emotional state that she's in. And and it happens in a, you know, with talking to Steve and then with her kind of realization and then making a choice at the end. So she does get out of it, but this right now is she's going down into that dark, angry space. Yeah, that's really interesting because Diana thinks Ludendorff is Ares, and so she sees him as this military leader who enjoys killing people, being about war and his soldiers and his military. But Ares, in actuality, is trying to be a bit of a peacemaker. He is trying to settle with that armistice. And so Diana, you're absolutely correct. Diana is the one who is uh, sort of appealing to the god of war mentality here, where she is 
seeking revenge and she is uh, wanting to do anything that she has to do in order to get that revenge. She's even throwing people off balconies and she's 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 causing a lot of chaos and mm-hmm. she's hurting a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, she's she's giving in to what Ares uh, would want her to do. Mm-hmm. And eventually in these scenes, she's going to kill Ludendorff, which is, you know, she's killing the wrong person. Um, and maybe Ludendorff deserves to die, like, of his own merits, like, things that he's done. But the fact is, he's not Ares. He is not who Diana thought he was. And so she's going to end up killing somebody that maybe she would not have killed. Maybe she just would have apprehended him or taken him into the British or something like that. So, yeah, she, you know, she not only kind of loses it on those soldiers and stuff, but even all the way through to Ludendorff. Um, so the fact that she made a mistake might be part of why she realizes she needs to pull out of that later. Like, she can't be in that mental state long term uh that's not how she kind of wants to be but um for this scene overall it also hits a couple marks for just the story structure um and putting the movie together you know diana is by far and away you know the main character of this movie from start to finish and ludendorff right from when he like walked towards camera with his big general stride we knew these two characters were going to have a confrontation we knew that they've been heading towards each other throughout the movie and so that comes to a head here in this um, scene, and they, they get to fight. We get to see the powerful gas used so that he can kind of keep up with Diana at least for a little while. But in terms of, you know, the audience watching it, we've known for more than an hour that these two were on a collision course, and now they're, they finally hit each other. Yeah, and the movie doesn't disappoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a pretty awesome fight sequence, and uh, it's nice to see that the filmmakers really uh, committed to that red herring. They they wanted you to believe, they wanted me to believe <laughs> that Ludendorff was Ares, and they had to make him someone who could keep up with Diana physically, mm-hmm. somebody who could be a real threat to her. And so the, the action in, uh, in these scenes does not disappoint uh, whatsoever to me. I think it really holds up to that promise of them uh, butting heads. Yeah, I think the action is pretty solid, um, with the exception of maybe one or two motions that we'll talk about later that um, I thought were not quite perfect. But overall, really good action, really good blows. You could feel the physicality. The music gets pumping with the Wonder Woman theme and stuff. So yeah, they do kind of you know follow through on it really well. And they try to give you, give it this weight of being the actual ending, the killing of Ares, because she goes into her whole monologue about I am Diana, you know, she talks about Amazon, and she kind of tries to give it this air of finality. And now, when I was watching it, even for the first time, I suspected that he wasn't really Ares, and I thought, like, oh, this isn't the end of the movie because the Oddfellows haven't been involved in, like, you know, the final act in the final battle and stuff. So I know, like, something else has to happen after Ludendorff because we have to get these other characters involved and it has to be, like, a bigger, all the pieces coming together. But I wasn't sure what that was going to be. I thought it could be maybe Ludendorff is killed, but now the Oddfellows have to just stop, like, a bunch of random Germans or something like that. So I thought maybe there was going to be, oh, killing the head of the snake doesn't actually stop the, the war machine. You have to, you know, go and still do some other things, so... I did not really know what was going to happen next, that it was going to be Sir Patrick and that there was going to be the final bigger battle, Um, but I knew something else had to happen after this. 
Yeah, I had a sneaking suspicion that maybe Ludendorff was not Ares, but I'm with you. Like, if if that wasn't Ares, I didn't know what was going to come after it. So it's well played, even though they give you an opportunity if you were sort of sneaky and maybe maybe you were... Uh, had some wits about you that you thought, oh, I don't think that guy is Aries. I think it's somebody else. Mm -hmm. You still, I think, at least for me, I still had a question leading into the scene, like what what is going to happen here? So I think the filmmakers and the writers really uh, did a good job of keeping you guessing. Right. Yeah, my best guess, like upon first viewing, was uh, that there was no Aries, that like maybe men were doing this on their own. And that he actually died before or never existed or something like that. That was my best guess at the time. But um, how it turned out was also fine for me. We'll get into that later. Um, I wanted to bring up here for the the overall stuff about the scene and talking about the villains. uh, The fact that we have Ludendorff and then Ares, even bigger threat after this. Uh, It reminds me of something that our friend Mark from DC Cinematic Minute, I heard him talking about in some of his episodes, where he talked about the two-level villains So, like, the classic example is Darth Vader, who really seems like this imposing villain, but then actually the Emperor is this, like, bigger villain pulling the strings from behind. In BVS, we have Doomsday and Lex, kind of two-level villains. And in this movie, uh, definitely that way with, like, Ludendorff, but once we've dispatched with him, we actually still have to deal with Ares on an even bigger level. Um, So, wanted to give a shout-out to Mark um, for talking about that kind of idea. It's kind of fun to think about the different templates for doing villains in movies. Yeah, I think that's a really great thought. And I think what ties all of those examples together is that one of them is manipulating the other. Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, Ares is uh, the big bad, if you will, the big boss, but he is manipulating all of these characters like Ludendorff and Dr. Poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that with Lex and Doomsday. Lex is, Lex is Doomsday's I don't know, father, creator. if you want to call it that, <laughs> yeah. his creator, um, and even Vader and Emperor, uh, Emperor Palpatine. Emperor Palpatine is the one who is sort of pulling all the strings, and Vader is sort of the 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 soldier beneath him. So I think that there is a puppet master and a puppet in all of those examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the uh, last thing we had in our notes from the team here about this this part is that this is really where the momentum picks up straight to Act Three. Like, we literally have physical motion racing towards what's going to be the final conflicts, the final big action set piece and stuff like that. So, uh, And really, from this, when Diana gets on the horse, it's basically just full speed ahead until we get to the denouement denouement of the movie where it's all kind of ending. So it's going to just be boom, 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 uh, right into the finish. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because I know that we've talked a lot about contrasts in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's uh, neat to see that Diana is, is old school. She's on a horse. She's using a, a sword. Mm-hmm. And Steve is on a motorcycle. And the soldiers that Diana comes in contact with trying to get to the military base, they're using guns against yeah. her. So it's Diana and her horse. Uh, with her sword versus Steve and the motorcycle and the guns. Yeah. So there's the contrasting world of, you know, Diana still from Themyscira and Man's World. So I, I like that even in this uh, sequence where it, it is a lot of action, you still get to see some of that being played out in the film. Yeah, that's a really nice point. And uh, even in the fight with Ludendorff, like Ludendorff starts with a pistol and he has a rifle, he's like swinging at her. But then eventually 
he picks up her sword even. So there's kind of this intermixing of the different worlds, um, which makes it for kind of some fun dynamics uh, in that action in the fight scene. Um, let's go in uh, detail through some more things in the scenes. So all of us on the team, I think, uh, noticed this. and We were all kind of jumping at the notes to talk about like what this might mean. But the scene starts off where uh, Diana goes on horseback and then there's a straight up sideways camera angle. Like the camera is propped like sideways to the horizon. So as she's riding, like it looks like she's riding from right to left on the screen, but actually she's going like forward towards the horizon. So it's a shot that really sticks out. I mean, you don't have to study film to kind of get slapped in the face with the fact that the camera is sideways. Yeah, uh, personally, I don't care for this shot. I think it's weird and awkward, and uh, I'm sure that they thought they had some sort of artsy reason for doing this. Uh, But to me, it it looks like somebody was shooting video on their iPhone in landscape, and then they turned it (laughs) to portrait, and it kept it as portrait. And so that's that's what they went with. It just it looks like a mistake on an iPhone. I think it's really really strange. I've been trying to think about why would they have that shot in there because it's it's not linked to anything else in the sequence. It's it sticks out and the only thing I can think of is that maybe it's trying to visually show that Diana is sort of out of her mind now. Mm-hmm. She's she's acting a little crazy. She's acting on on her emotions. Um, she's out of control. And so maybe that's what they're trying to show there. But I just, I think it's a very awkward choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's nothing that I, I think looks visually pleasing. And it's jarring uh, to me as an audience member. But uh, I would be very open to anyone's thoughts. But I, I guess maybe the filmmakers just wanted to uh, use it to show Diana's state of mind in, the, in this sequence. Yeah, uh, I agree with you that to me, it doesn't really work. Like, I, maybe they were going for something, but I feel like when they watched it, they should have been like, nah, that doesn't really work. Like, let's just go ahead with kind of a more typical coverage going into this. You mentioned that it could be kind of artsy, you know, but I feel like if they were going for something artsy, you have to kind of commit to that more on the scene level, if not like a film level. Like, you can't just go artsy on one shot and then throw it into a scene. You've got to really like you know, set the mood for the scene. And if you're going to go artsy with certain kinds of angles and and stuff, avant-garde, you know, choices, I think you have to commit to them more and then make it part of the work of art. This one, it's more like, nope, it's just one sideways shot thrown in. And then the rest of it is all like typical action kind of coverage, you know, with mixing up close-ups with medium range shots and, you know, just showing the action going forward. So to me, that's why it sticks out because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like they coherently tried to weave it into the scene. It seems like just a one-off thing, which makes me kind of agree with you overall that it seems like more of a mistake or something. Now, in terms of the uh, showing the her, you know, mental state or something like that, it reminds me of Batman v Superman uh, with a young Bruce Wayne at the beginning of the movie and his parents have died and there's this motif of falling and everything like that. And young Bruce Wayne runs under the camera and then the camera like tracks him and pivots and then ends up going upside down. But to me, that shot in BVS works a lot better. First of all, because it followed Bruce from right side up to upside down. And also because it was not sideways. It was just from right side up to upside down, which matches the idea of his world has turned upside down because he's just lost his parents. And this whole motif is everything kind of falling downward and he's about to fall into a hole So, like, to me, that choice in BVS of tipping the camera upside down 
it worked fluidly in the motion and also it worked with what I was seeing them do in the scene overall. And I know you've like analyzed that scene as well yourself, even independent from us. So to me, that's a case where it can work to kind of play around with the camera here. Uh, I don't get as much thematic meaning or coherence out of it. It seems like it's just a sideways camera shot. Yeah, as a camera operator, you always want to have intention behind your shot. You want to start from a certain point and you want to end at a certain point and you want to know where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And so I think that shot in BBS, I mean, Larry Fong is a a genius. I think his Mm -hmm. work is incredible. And he he understands that. I think even Zack Snyder uh, understands that you have to, and when you start a shot, you need to know where you're going to end while you're do- while you're mm-hmm. doing the shot and so I think that that works a lot better like you said because it is thematic because it goes somewhere because it has intention behind it mm-hmm. that weird sideways shot in Wonder Woman it has no uh connection to the character really I mean we're just kind of assuming things about the connection to the character but yeah. it's like, like we're, you we're said, trying pretty one, hard and if we, if we can't find it it's <laughs> It was we're, we're, dig- we're digging a hole, Sam. We, we don't really know what we're doing here with this shot. But uh, yeah, but I agree. It's a it's a one off shot. It doesn't have any other connection to the scene, to the character. Um, so I think it's a really, really weird choice. Yeah. If I was going to try to scratch for it, I know this is this is what you get in our podcast is we'll talk for seven minutes about one shot. But <laughs> so, Sorry, we go we go in deep. We're not afraid of it. If I was going to try to make one more attempt at like thinking about why they did the shot. I do remember that we in our analysis talked about Steve Trevor way earlier when he was flying away from the Turkish camp where he had gotten the the diary or what journal or whatever. And he was dropping, like he was literally just dropping a bomb uh, explosive into the warehouse or whatever. And so as he's flying away in the plane, they kind of tipped the camera sideways uh, as he was coming away. So to me, I'm like, okay, there was a shot sideways shot earlier in the movie. And now here there's a sideways shot. Steve was flying an airplane. Diana's riding a horse. But to me, the shot worked better with Steve because he was kind of like dropping the bomb. And so they were kind of playing with the physics of like where the bomb was going to go and the explosion was going to blast. So for me, that one worked okay with like the kind of hecticness and the rotation turning of the plane and stuff. In this one, it's just like, no, she's riding a horse. Like she's not going to be turning. She's not going to be rocking the horse sideways like he was doing with the plane and stuff. Now, maybe they were trying to connect back to that scene. So what was Steve doing there? He was just escaping with his life and with some intelligence that he wanted to bring back. And he was dropping a bomb on the Germans who were making weapons. Diana's not escaping. She's like going towards the conflict. I don't know. They're both fighting the enemies. I don't know. That's my attempt. Some sort of connection to that previous scene, but I don't really see any big, uh, big takeaway meaning from that. It's a really valid attempt, <laughs> a really valid attempt. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I actually ever. I mean, there, I probably will never meet Patty Jenkins. But if I ever did, this will be one of the first questions I ask her: Why the sideways shot in yeah. Wonder Woman? One minute, of, yeah, an hour, forty-one minutes, and twenty seconds into the movie, there's a sideways shot for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we can go forward. Um, so. They do show the close-up and they kind of emphasize Diana pulling her sword out. So this has clear meaning, you know, of her vengeance. She's about to go on this tear. Uh, And to me, the sword has a lot of meaning because at the gala, she had the sword. Like, we could see where her sword was in the back of her dress. 
but she never got a chance to pull it out. Steve got in her way, the circumstance didn't work out, so she never actually pulled the sword, even though she kind of wanted to. Now, she saw the gassing of Veld, she's off the chain, she's pulling that sword out. So to me, it's like, oh yeah, this sword is now coming out. We've kind of been waiting for it for a few scenes. So to me, that one is like, okay, good. I'm, I'm back with you, Patty. I know, I know what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah, and Steve at this point can't stop her. He can't. He 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 can barely catch up to her. So yeah, she's uh she she's making these choices for herself. Yep. And so we get a little bit of the motion with uh, her on the horseback. Really really good looking shots here, I should say at this point. Um, and then Steve coming back on the motorcycle. And you're right, it is a nice contrast between the organic animal um, where Diana has a relationship with the animals. And she treats them you know respectfully, and then Steve just using a man's world mechanical kind of machine. Yeah, and I think it's it's good because Steve didn't have any way to get back. So it's pretty smart just in terms of uh, story and filmmaking-wise that they needed him to get back into the action. How is he going to get there? So uh, it makes sense that he would just find a motorcycle and, and get back there pretty quickly. So it, it makes sense in a, a thematic way, but also in a uh, functional way to get him back into the action. Yeah, definitely. So she was heading towards the smoke because uh, Chief had managed to make the smoke, smoke signal. But to me, this also shows Diana's state of mind that you described earlier because she does not even check in with the odd fellows or say anything to them or let them know what she's doing. She just blows right past the odd fellows. Um, they've marked, you know, where Ludendorff is, uh, is camped out and stuff, but she doesn't have any time for any uh, chit chat or anything like that. She is on a mission. Yeah, I would I would think that she would want to ask them questions about, you know, where is Ludendorff, where are his men, what's going on, what what information do you know? But uh, she just, she goes flying past them and she doesn't have any information. She has no plan. All, her only plan is find Ludendorff and kill him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she is, she is acting on all emotion right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice when she comes up over that little hill because... Uh, when she comes over the hill, she sees the airfield, uh, and it has the lights going and stuff. And it's nice because we as the audience can have an establishing shot, but it's from her perspective. You know, we've talked about this a lot, but Patty Jenkins, I think, deserves a lot of credit for having such a strong perspective in the movie. You know, we know that we're seeing things from Diana's point of view, and she also even finds a way to work it in where, okay, you're getting to a new location, you need to have an establishing shot so the audience can place the action and stuff. And we even do that from the perspective of Diana. So it's like very functional, but still within the story and like where the characters are flowing and everything. I think it's important that we see that because a lot of things in this last part of the film are going to be happening in this location. Mm-hmm. You're going to have certain parts in the tower, then you're going to have them sort of on the runway area. So you kind of have to know where things are in this location in order to understand what's going on. So I think that actually, you know, when you talk about establishing shots, that one actually was needed so that you could have a good sense of the setting uh, where all the characters were going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that they're all headed there because when Steve goes by the Odd Fellows, he does say like, "Hey, come on, let's let's like follow and see what we can do." So that also like we know the location of where we're headed, and we can kind of see spatially how it's laid out. But then we also know where our characters are. We know where Ludendorff is. We know where Diana is. We know where the Odd Fellows are coming up. So all the pieces are getting put into place for the big finish. You know, in the next several scenes. Right. 
Then we go to Diana. Um, she comes up to like a double fence around the perimeter. And this is really cool because she gets up on the horse and does kind of like a spinning flip, you know, down over the fence. And just, it's such a striking physical move that it immediately reminds us back to Themyscira and the Amazon warriors. Yeah, she's not messing around. And she has a little bit of, uh, it's there's some, I guess, fluidity would be a mm-hmm. good word there. Um, it, it, almost like a feminine grace that she does this flip over the fence or the wall or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that they uh, gave her something that was cool in terms of visuals, but it was also something that played back into her character. And like you said, back to the Amazons and how they operated when they were fighting an enemy. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, it is pretty fluid. She goes right into the run. She pulls out the sword like while she's still in the air. So like definitely fluidity of motion. Um, she slashes through the second fence and goes through the soldiers. And this is what we were saying where she's just on a tear. So she makes quick work of everybody. The lasso comes out. It really um, stands out in the darkness. Um, but she lassos a guy down from the tower and then uses that to kind of pr- propel herself up. Um, and then uh, the scene ends here with the uh, like communications operator. He's checking out what's going on, and she just tosses him to the back. It's almost done for a co- comedic timing a little bit, when the way she throws that guy off behind her, like, just get out of my way. I'm blanking on the the scream, the very famous scream that... Uh, oh, the uh, Wilhelm scream? The Wilhelm scream, yes. I was like, why can't I think of that <laughs> at this moment? But yeah, it it almost... It almost calls for a Wilhelm scream in that moment, uh, but we don't get one, and I'm glad that we don't get one, but the way it's shot almost looks like it would have had one, mm-hmm. um, and it just, there's there's a callousness there, I think, from Diana. She doesn't care who that guy is. She doesn't care that she might throw a guy off a balcony and, and possibly kill him. If she doesn't kill him, he's pretty banged up. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be well after being thrown down from that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's pretty scary the way Diana, to me, the, the way she's acting in this sequence because she does not care about anyone else except getting to Ludendorff. Which is where she is now. Um, she has made it. So this will be what we're calling scene 42, but we're just going to keep going right into it, um, where Ludendorff, you know, he kind of looks at this uh, woman who has made it into his tower. But the way I take this little first part of the scene is he assumes I'll be able to just shoot her. Like, somehow she made it here, but I'll take care of this. Um, And he says, you know, I have other matters to attend to. But I think he expects I can just shoot this woman and it will be over. Yeah, which is a funny thought because she is in this armored attire and she has a sword. You don't think she's she's going to be a threat? <laughs> uh, I guess he had uh, a real ego on him that he thought he could take care of her. Yeah, and I, I guess he didn't really like think to himself, how did she make it this far past all the soldiers around the perimeter? <laughs> yeah. Like maybe she has some actual skills and abilities, but right. the male ego, you know, could be a little bit at play here where he's, you know, he's <laughs> risen pretty high and he probably does that by thinking pretty highly of himself. Uh, I like this way to start off the scene very memorably. Uh, some more bullet action that we've seen throughout the movie, but this one's kind of unique because she hits it right back into the barrel, which is a very unique way to kind of kick off the fight. 
Yeah, and I really like getting to see Diana deflect bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we I mean, it's important in this film because the first time she encounters man, she sees that bullet's slow motion uh, shot of uh, it killing one of the Amazons. That's a big, impactful moment for her. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's it's a big deal for her to come into this scene and be really sure of herself and be able to deflect the bullets with her bracelets, not being scared of them this time. Mm-hmm. She She's progressed. She's been in man's world. She kind of knows how things operate now, what these gun things are. And she's not scared of them, and she's not afraid to deflect them with her bracelets. And so I think that that's a really nice touch. And just from a comic book perspective, I think this plays back into the trial of the Flashing Thunder from George uh, Perez's run in the comics. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a really cool way to because um, it's it's a big thing for Wonder Woman. I mean, that's her, one of the things she does with her bracelets, with her gauntlets. She can deflect bullets. So I, I always enjoy getting to see her do that. She even in this fight, in this uh, sequence, she does some fighting with her boots. Mm-hmm. There's a defensive technique with the boot. So yeah. I think it, uh, they utilized every every part of her costume in order to fight Ludendorff. Yeah, I agree. They like once they get going, um, it's really good stunt work. Uh, a lot of the blows, I think, look very physically real. Um, you can kind of feel them, and I really appreciate that when the fights are like they really. You know, with the cuts and the performance, they really go into it where it feels like they're really trying to strike each other um, rather than the fight scenes where you can kind of tell that they're swinging off of each other. It's like, okay, you're not actually swinging at each other. You're swinging like according to a choreography. And of course, this is choreographed, but the way it's choreographed and performed, it feels like they're actually going at each other and really, you know, hitting and blocking and stuff. So I always appreciate that. I will, though, a, a little critique I have is the kind of one of the early shots here. Um, I like it that Ludendorff takes the gas. That's a good way to bring that back around. And like, that's the only reason he can kind of at least compete for a little while with Diana. But after he takes the gas, there's a shot where he like turns toward her and he's like growling or yelling (laughs) and they go to slow-mo and like that shot, I'm kind of like, didn't quite work for me. But then once they get going, it's really good, I think, from there afterward. But I don't know how that slow-mo scream came to you. Sam, Sam was like, Ludendorff, enough! <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I I think it's, it's a little silly, but I think what they were trying to do was to show that he was angry and that he was threatening and maybe, maybe he is a god of war because he does mm-hmm. not look really friendly right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I might have done it a different way. But uh, I think it it worked in in showing that he was ready to fight her at this point. Yeah. I think they probably had to do something to kind of like, okay, we need to have something that transitions us into the full fight sequence. But yeah, what they chose was not my perfect thing. But then he throws the object at her, she blocks it, and like then we get into those hits and stuff that I think looked really good. His punch, like right at her bracelet, like you were saying, using different parts of her costume. Um, and he does have some strength here at the beginning. Like, this is not a cakewalk. He gets some licks in. He throws her around a little bit. Yeah, and at one point, he, he gets the godkiller sword. Yeah. He, he has it in his possession, and he, he like, throws her up against a wall. Yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, he's just a human who's taken whatever this thing is that he's been consuming that makes him somehow superhuman. But he, in all uh, reality, without it, he's just a guy. He's just a human. So to see him be able to do this stuff to Diana, 
who is a goddess or a demigoddess, I guess mm-hmm. uh, you could say. Um, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was a good call to have him get the sword because, like, as the audience, we know that this is a sword with supposedly special abilities to be able to kill a god, so then we would think it could kill a demigod. So, like, we think, oh, he's got that sword. Diana might be in a little bit more danger than if he just had a regular weapon or something like that. So I thought that was a good call to have him get that. And uh, he's over top of her, and he says, you know, like, as as magnificent as you are, you're still no match for me or something like that, where he still has his ego even after she's blocked a bullet right back into his gun had a pretty even fight with them to this point but she is down he thinks he's you know all on top of it now and he's about to run her through and i thought this was a great way to go next where she grabs you know the sides of the blades and stops the impaling move like with so that's takes a lot of strength on her part to be able to stop that much momentum just through like compression and friction um that sort of thing uh, and then she gets her lion back at him, too. <laughs> she starts... Yeah, and I like... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, I was say she starts to... She says that we'll see about that, but then is uh, she's going to have the upper hand as she goes into her monologue next, but... Yeah, I, I think all of this is uh, really well done because they are fighting sort of on the same level here, but eventually they will both fight for the high ground, which I think is really interesting. It's sort of a strategic move that... Ludendorff will go up to the top of the tower and then she will eventually go up higher than him. Mm -hmm. So I think that they really thought through um, how this fight was going to progress. Oh yeah, that's a really nice point. Uh, Because he's in the tower, she joins him up there. Now he gets her down on the floor of the tower and he's up, but then she counters it. Then he goes up, she goes up onto the roof with him and in fact above. Yeah, you're right. That's a really nice kind of triple layering that kind of happens. And then it does end with her on top of him, and then she runs him down. So it does end with her literally standing over him and plunging the sword down just like he tried to do. So, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of that kind of uh, physical level sort of uh, blocking to the scene. Yeah, you want to have the high ground. Definitely sure. And in terms of, like, morally, she doesn't have the high ground here. She's really kind of vengeful. But uh, she will, at the end, take the high ground in terms of choosing love and... She destroys Ares, but we'll get there. But she does it in at least a more loving spirit, if you could still kill the (laughs) villain that way. I think here with Diana, she thinks what she's doing is morally just and morally right. In fact, her her divine purpose, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think in her mindset, she thinks this this is the right thing to do. But of course, she realizes later that uh, she didn't actually complete her mission uh, because she didn't kill the real Ares. But here in this moment, she thinks she's doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, before we go out on, into the roof and stuff, um, we should mention the slow motion spinning kick that she does where she kind of sends him through the window. Uh, I thought that was a really nice little stunt move. Because, again, there's the fluidity. Like, she does the spin. Sometimes with spinning kicks, it's a really pretty spin, but it doesn't seem like it would have that much force. This one, they managed to have a pretty fluid spin, but also looks like it would be a powerful kick. And then I also like the follow-through, um, where when after Diana kicks, she kind of lands and then turns, and it has kind of a follow-through of the motion. So... Overall, it was good. And Ludendorff, like, going through the window, which I'm sure was CGI, but they did a good job of it where it looks like a man is actually going through that window. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of power behind that kick. And I I agree. It looks really, really good. Yeah. And um, I think we should give a shout out to the uh, stunt performer here. I think we have it in the notes, right, for um, Diana. 
because uh, we've been raving about the most of the fight stuff really well, but we think it's Caitlin Deschel, um that was doing these main stunts for Gal, uh, and really good job, um, very nice physicality and performance in it. Yeah, all the action looks uh, really good here. So, all right, let's go ahead and head outside. So Ludendorff, <laughs> now after he, I think he's done um, bragging and just assuming that he'll be able to take care of business, I think now he's actually pretty scared. His gas is probably wearing off a little bit, and uh, even when he was fully gassed up, the, what she was able to do, I think, is kind of gotten to him now. So he's upstairs pretty scared, and Diana goes into her monologue where they try to bring the some grandiosity to this moment. I'm Diana Themyscira. Um, she's from Amazon. She mentions her mother, even a daughter of Hippolyta. Yeah, and I like that she uses the word wrath. Here she says, and your wrath upon this world is over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very fitting that she would say that to who she thinks is Ares in this scene um, because he is the god of war and wrath would be something that he would be trying to inflict on the the people of Earth and mankind. I mean, I, it's, it's pretty funny because she says this speech. She starts it a little bit earlier in the scene and then doesn't get to finish it. And she will eventually finish it completely before she kills Ludendorff. Um, and it's very reminiscent of the Inigo Montoya uh, speech from The Princess Bride <laughs> where he says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. And he repeats mm-hmm. it several times yeah. until he's able at actually able to kill the six finger man spoilers for the princess bride (laughs) if you haven't seen it you should be watching it i don't know why you haven't watched it Mm -hmm. but i think that is actually a very intentional uh, homage to that character beat from the princess bride because there is this speech that she wants to say before she kills uh the enemy of uh her people Mm -hmm. uh and she repeats it several times, just like he does in The Princess Bride. So yeah. uh, I, I think it's a little bit funny that they did that. But at the same time, I think it's a cool uh, throwback to that movie because The Princess Bride is so good. Yeah. And she thinks it's Ares, and Ares did kill her father. So <laughs> That's right. That actually is true and, and something that uh, connects to it as well. Yeah. I also like the just the pacing of the scene because when Ludendorff goes out onto the roof, you know, they're kind of methodically, like, you know, walking around. Like, Ludendorff's not sure where to stand, and Diana's kind of looking up and gauging where he is. And it gives this kind of moment of, like, all right, we're just getting into position. And then the last part of the scene is much more the kind of dramatic lasso and then the death kind of thing. So the the quick, you know, fighting and all the hits and stuff are done, and now it's going more into this methodical, like, almost... Um, poetry of motion kind of thing with her um jumping up and getting the lasso out and stuff so it's a nice shift from the really the fighting part of the scene to just the dramatic kind of ending part of the scene and the lasso looks so good in this scene and i think when people when people talk about oh these scenes are shot at night they're they're too dark I, I, when I think about that, I kind of laugh because sometimes you need scenes like this to take place at night because some of those effects look better. They pop out at night. Mm-hmm. If you had that same scene during the daytime, I don't know that the lasso would look as impressive. I don't know that the lasso would look as powerful as it does 
when you have the dark night sky and you can see that golden lasso really sparkle and and it really makes it look very visually pleasing to the eye so i think when when people complain about oh this this is set at night there's a reason sometimes i think that these filmmakers want to make it uh, a scene set at night because they can uh, have these effects really sparkle against the the dark night sky so i think the lasso really stands out in in these shots when she's using it yeah i think all that is correct and I also think about what we said at the beginning about Diana's emotional state and how she's, you know, so pained and she's very vengeful right now and she's really letting these kind of negative emotions take over and she's just going with it. If that's her emotional state, that's your main character, you need to have the setting visually match that. So you got to put her into the dark of the night, you know, because that's what she's going through right now. Absolutely. So it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to be like, okay, this is the moment where our... Our lead character is really off the rails and everything. Uh, and let's go ahead and just have a nice sunrise and <laughs> clouds around and stuff. Yeah, it's always darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. We see that in this film for sure. Yeah, exactly. So um, she's up there. Yeah, the lasso looks looks really good. Um, she has him down. And um, she has a, a good plunging. Um, I think it's nice though that they didn't like show it um, going into his chest or anything because that's just a human who's been mistaken for the god of war. So they kind of cut away, you know, as she impales him, um, rather than going for like a gory kind of close-up of his chest or anything like that. Yeah, that's taken a cue from Disney's Snow White when the the huntsman uh, has that situation with Snow White. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's a good choice um, not to make it too graphic. Yeah, and I uh, I forgot, too, right before she plunges, I wanted to mention the line, she says, in the name of all that is good in this world. So here she's, she thinks she's doing it in the name of all that is good in the world, but later she's going to find out that there's not really, like, pure good and pure evil in the world of man, that actually the good and the bad are, like, interwoven together into people, and people have both good sides and bad sides inside of them. You know, it's it's more complex than she thought initially. And so to me, that's kind of nice that here when she has not yet learned her full lesson, she's saying, oh, in the name of all that's good. And later she'll be like, oh, wait, uh, everybody has good and bad. So we actually just need to choose the side of love. And that's like what she does at the end of the movie. So even from here to the end, she's going to learn and kind of take a few more steps in her character journey. And I think it's good that she says that in this scene that leads her into the scene with Steve Trevor where they talk about that. So I think I think it's a good way to transition into that conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, after this, uh, there's no more dialogue. I think um, we see, we do see Diana like holding the sword over him, but they don't like, you know, they don't focus on the wound or anything. Ludendorff kind of goes into his death. And because of the gas and his face, that gives him a nice way to show his death by having the color kind of leave his face. And Diana is kind of, you know, just starting to breathe and take in what's happened here. Um, I think the music works really effectively because in the fight scene, we had the Wonder Woman theme with the electric cello and the nice drums. And then here, it's a good use of the Amazon theme with the A-E-A-G intervals that we've talked about before. Because this is her fulfilling her Amazonian duty, you know, so this moment of thinking that she's killed Ares is really more of a connection to Amazons. Um, So I think that's a nice way to bring back the theme. And she thinks she's accomplished it now. 
So she's starting to kind of collect herself. The fight is over, and she doesn't yet realize that she's made a bit of a mistake. Yeah, and I really like, uh, again, the commitment to that red herring. They give her a moment. They give Diana a moment where she has relief uh, that she's fulfilled that mission, and she uh, takes a moment to just gather herself after it they they don't jump into one uh one next thing coming up they they give her a moment to kind of take that in and and realize what she's done and i i like the the shot talking (laughs) talking about some shots that don't make any sense i really love the shot of diana looking up at the in the sky because to me i think that makes sense in in this scene where she has completed her mission and i almost see uh, Diana looking up as I, I'd sort of read into that that maybe she was praying to the gods or she was uh, taking a moment to uh, think about the Amazons and, and what she was there to do. So um, I, I think that that shot is uh, is something that I, I get a lot of meaning out of, even though there's no dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a nice shot, and it is set up earlier in the movie where we know that's kind of a character moment for her to center herself have that contemplation and let her her gaze go straight upward and even in bvs we saw her do that after the death of superman um so here with another death you know it's kind of a very somber moment even if you know regardless of who's dying if we've just had a loss of life it's kind of it makes sense for her to i think have that um physical thing that we can see and connect to so i agree that's a nice use yeah, and she has, like like I said, she has some relief to her. But in that moment, in that shot where she's looking up, then you start to hear some of those soldiers on the military mm-hmm. base. And she starts to realize that maybe things are still happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like the use of the uh, the sound there. Yeah. That they don't actually show it, but you hear it almost as if we are we, the audience, are in Diana's realization that this is not over. All right, that's our analysis of scenes 41 and 42 of Wonder Woman. Next up, we will see Diane and Steve uh, processing what just happened, and we'll see what they make of it after they do hear that the soldiers and everything is still going on. Uh, And then that'll lead into the final showdown with Ares. In the meantime, feel free to check out the Suicide Squad cast for the latest DC news, and there's always a good treasure trove of ideas in the back catalog of Man of Steel Answers. Thanks to all of you for listening, and if you'd like to be entered into giveaways or get some bonus content from us, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash jlupodcast.